Hey friends, so today I'm chatting with a fellow traveler, someone who's been down the road of recovery and is experiencing freedom from addiction. Thanks for being here. I'm Jody Stevens. Glad you're listening. This podcast is about helping you live a better life mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, I would love it if you would subscribe, maybe leave a review if you've been listening to uh, past shows, past episodes. And you can do that through your listening app. You can also check out other great recovery resources and my healing blog and stuff like that at jodystevens.org j-o-d-i-e stevens with a v.org and if you have questions or you just want to reach out love to hear from you too and also be able to answer those questions in upcoming shows and my email is connect with jodystevens at yahoo.com so i'm hanging out with dave howe who wrote the workbook live pure and free this is a book and a workbook and a devotional for men which is really cool excited to talk to you dave where are you actually where are you right now i'm in uh, chanhassen minnesota which is uh, one of the sorta yeah this is a suburb of uh, minneapolis are you from the sacramento area originally or what nope not originally no i i've never lived in sacramento how did you but, and I uh, connect then? I believe it was on Facebook because you oh. know a bunch of authors that I know, and I think that's how we ended up getting connected. I'm not positive, but that's what I believe was the route. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> did, didn't you go to the Mount Hermon Writers Conference? Yes, I went to Mount Hermon Writers Conference for four years, and so I met a lot of wonderful people, and a lot of them are from Northern California area, so... Plus, it's it. You feel like you're already in heaven when you're up in the Santa Cruz Mountains there. So <laughs> I know it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and so is Minnesota. I'm originally from Alaska, so I'm totally familiar with that climate. Cold weather, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I grew up in Anchorage, and then I went to college in Fairbanks, where it got to minus fifty-five below. Ooh, that's really cold, even for us. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that was the coldest it ever got, but that moose, the whole experience, been there, done that, camping, living in tents, all that stuff, you know? Wow. So, Dave, you've experienced recovery from sexual addiction. You started a men's purity group. You've mm-hmm. written this workbook, which we're going to talk about, this devotional, which I love. The, the You sent me kind of a chunk from your press review, and it was great. And you've spoken at uh, purity groups, men's mm-hmm. meetings. Everybody's heard, probably if you're in the church movement, you've heard heard of Iron Sharpens Iron, which these conferences around the country for men. So that's really cool. So I'm excited to hear your story. I like how you start your book with Luke 4.18. He says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, which has m- mm-hmm. more than one meaning. We know, <laughs> we know, but because, you know, addiction is a form of prison, is it not? It's very oppressive. What I think of is how it starts out as something that we're using to relieve our anxiety. It starts out as something fun. It starts out as something that we've kind of got, but then it switches on us, doesn't it? Then it switches, and then it becomes a prison that you can't seem to get out of, and it just gets more and more, with the sexual sin, more and more deep and more risky, and uh, yeah, it just goes some places you never had thought you were going to go, so. And I think all addiction is like that. You know, I watched my, my brother deteriorate into alcoholism, and he ultimately died in 2015, yeah. and it just, you know, of course, in high school, it started out as something fun, and then it got to the yeah. point where 
he couldn't function without it. Yeah. And then it got to the point where it took his life. Yeah. So I want to hear your story. But first, I want to talk about addiction in general. You know, we tend to categorize addictions, you know, like there's more shame around certain addictions, right? Like a sexual addiction or for Mm -hmm. me as a woman being an alcoholic, you know, like when I did recovery in the church, I couldn't get very many women to come to the alcohol meetings. But then when I allowed codependency, they all showed up. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And so it's just like there's there's this kind of shame around it, but it's all the same thing. The Bible tells us we're born powerless over sin. So we all kind of have something. Yeah, there's uh, so many things we make false idol worship. It can be many different things. Anything we put ahead of God can get us in trouble. You know, money, striving after your career, or cars, or it could be so many different things that we put ahead of God and it gets us in trouble. So let's talk about the double life. You were in this sexual addiction. I know I was in the alcohol addiction. And, you know, I was doing, at the time I was doing afternoon drive on a Christian music station. And then I was going home and getting drunk. (laughs) You know, then I was going to church on Sunday. It It was very, I think more than anything, it was very emotionally and spiritually conflicting. Totally. And uh, for me, same thing. You know, I was in church all the time, uh, never missed a Sunday. Then I was in Bible study, Sunday school, in the choir. But yet, when I was home, I was struggling with this uh, sexual addiction. And so I was living that, you know, duplicity, I guess, that, that double life where I was one person at church and somebody else outside of that. And of course, I knew enough about the Bible to know what I was doing was wrong. That was the thing. It wasn't like I didn't know it, but I just couldn't seem to get free on my own. It's a heavy toll, I think, emotionally. One of those um, things that leads to that double life is hiding things. So I would be hiding a stash and it came to, to a point where I was like paranoid that I was afraid to have people over the house. They might find stuff. That's so true. And obviously... <laughs> You know, that's just part of it. In in any kind of addiction, for you, you probably had stashes of magazines and videos. Right. The alcoholic has got, they've got booze hidden all over the house, okay? Right. Or it's in the car. I mean, my brother would put stuff in the woods. I wasn't, I didn't, <laughs> wasn't at the point where I was stashing it because I was single. So I just, I didn't need to hide it, but <laughs> I was always purging it. I would take those videos out into the garage and smash them on the floor and be throw them in the trash and, and just make a commitment I was never going to do that again. And then a f- week or two weeks later, I'd be getting another one. So it's just that kind of binge purge over and over cycle. And this is so common, you guys, regardless of what addiction you're into, because you're trying to stop. And in your case, you were trying to stop on your own. In my Mm -hmm. case, I was trying to stop on your own. People with food addictions, right? They've got all the food hidden, you know, then they throw it all away. Then they they eat and then they throw up. I mean, you guys, it's (laughs) the same thing. And why are we binging and purging? Because we're not, right? We're not getting the help we need, right? Right. We're looking... For those things to give us something they were never meant to give. And I don't think you can stop or get rid of it without getting help. Right. I tried so many times and 
finally started to seek some help. But, you know, one of the things was I didn't feel safe asking anybody for help at that time. We didn't seem to be talking openly about it at church, so I felt like I was the oddball, the only one. So I was really at a loss for, well, who am I going to tell this terrible thing to? You know, so I think it's important that churches have an atmosphere where it's okay for people to admit they're sinners. After all, we're all sinners. We all fall short. But the church has to create an environment where a person can feel safe coming to a pastor and talking about their struggles, whatever they are. It's getting better. But was, yeah. when you came out of your addiction, when was that? Like, what year was that? Well, that was 2003. I went to my mm-hmm. group in 2004. It was getting better then. I think that was around the time things were, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't raised in the church, but I, I do know what you mean. I didn't get help through the church. I went to AA because I thought the mm-hmm. church would judge me. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, 2004, I went to the group. Now, there was not a lot of groups at that time, but one church had a lot of people, a lot of guys coming to it. So that's the one that I went to. And luckily for me, it was on the other side of town because of the shame factor. I didn't want anybody to see me. What's so funny about that, um, and, and I did the same thing. I was, I, I remember telling my sponsor, oh my gosh, I, I'm so afraid to go. Why? Oh, well, I'm afraid I'll see my boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she goes, well, your boss is afraid he's going to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about the stupidity. It's it's kind of self-absorbed when, when you really go back and think about it, because we're all afraid we're going to see somebody we know at a recovery meeting, and they're afraid they're going to see you. So if you're yeah. both there... I have one of those stories in my book, one of the devotions, and there was a guy that came to our group, but he was real worried about seeing anybody who knew, he knew, and mm-hmm. it was... <laughs> but sure enough, one of his good friends was in the group, and his friend didn't shame him or anything. He said, hey, let's well, let's go through this together. We'll get pure together. And so they became great friends. And actually, the two of them started their own groups back at their own churches afterwards. See, and that's what God has for us, you know, because know think about this. When you reach it, when you go get help, you're worried you're going to see somebody in the same group that's there getting help for the same thing you are. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, right? So if you think you're ashamed, then they would be ashamed. And then when you're together, that kills the shame. You're both there for the same reason, right? Right, exactly. And uh, look what the fruit of it was for them being brave enough to come to the group. They're both helping, you know, many other men to get free. This is so important to get help because you've got to get to the root of why we're doing what we're doing. Otherwise, we're just going to switch our addiction, right? Right. Uh, For me, the root uh, was I grew up in an alcoholic household. My dad was an alcoholic. So Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of unhealthy things. That was the root. So once I dealt with the root, I could understand more and uh, forgive my parents and all that, which led to healing between us and then also helped me to heal. And when you grow up in an alcoholic family, all the attention and all the emotional support is going towards the alcoholic. And so the kid just kind of gets left behind. And also in an alcoholic family, feelings are not dealt with. And when they are dealt with, they're they're dealt with poorly. Yes, very much so. I totally agree. That was the situation for me. And so you stuff your feelings. You don't know who you are. And you, you, so you're very codependent is really what it, what it is. Yeah. And 
the only way you feel like you're getting some of your control back with the addiction. I can't do anything about all this other stuff because I can't express my feelings. But if I'm taking part in this addiction, right, addiction is a replacement usually for what we lack the courage to do. So like by drinking, by porn, by purging, we're now in control. We're doing something about our situation. Something, but not as good, but it is something. I think the root of it is what we're striving for is good. Yeah. We're just doing it wrong. Like everything I think is, it's called displacement. Mm-hmm. So it's a displacement. We're, we're using and doing stuff because we're, we're, we need something else. We're displacing our feelings and our emotions. You know what I mean? Yeah. So tell me your story, how you got into your addiction and how God ultimately delivered you. Well, I think it was really a process that started slowly. You know, I had that root cause. But uh, once I started looking at porn videos and then, um, which kind of led to more lusting after women, it became kind of a, an ongoing thing. And finally, it was really becoming my coping mechanism for things that went on. You know, my thought was, I'm not hurting anyone. All the guys do this. It's just a stress reliever. I had a hard day at work. So I had all kinds of justifications for mm-hmm. it, but it was really getting out of control. What I noticed too, you know, we talked about binging and purging, but then I noticed near the end there, I was starting to save some of them and I was keeping things and having a stash and it just became unmanageable, I guess. Did your wife know about what you were doing? After a while, she did know. And Mm -hmm. I found out afterwards that uh, when it was getting bad that she was praying for me that I would turn it around. She didn't really lay down the law. Like I have many guys in, that come to our groups that uh, mm-hmm. they're there because they got an ultimatum, you know, but she right. never, she didn't do that. Luckily for me, I got into a group and, and the group really where I got healed and stopped uh, acting out with that. And how did you ultimately get into the group? Like what was your kind of bottom? Well, here's the thing. One of my, a former coworker of mine started working at a church across town and he invited me to attend this men's event called the battle where they had a, a live band. They had testimonies, prayer and things. And he, and he said that uh, every man's dealing with this issue and uh, you really got to come to this event. But then later he sent out another email and said, no, you really need to come to this event. And I kind of thought, does he know something (laughs) that I don't, (laughs) you know, I thought he knew that I needed that. So I decided I would go. And I told my wife that I was going to a men's meeting. I didn't tell her what the subject matter was. And that's where I just made a commitment at that point, at that meeting to do something about it. Then I started going to their groups. And in those groups is where I really found my freedom and, you know, support, the accountability, and really a feeling that I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. I'm not sort of some kind of weirdo, that there was a whole room full of guys that were also dealing with this and all committed to work on it together. What was it like when you began to hear stories of things that you did that you thought no one else did? Yeah, I was like, whoa, okay. Or when I heard stories of... uh, that were far wilder than mine. I felt like, yeah. oh, am I pretty kind of tame by comparison to that one? But, but the key was that we were all open and sharing and being honest, filing and getting out of our isolation area. That's the big thing of the group. You're getting out of yourself. You know, you're contributing, helping other guys right away, and they're helping you. And uh, 
that support and accountability is really important. And the fellowship is huge. One of the roots of addiction is lack of connection. Yeah. And so when you stay in isolation, things just get worse. And that's where the enemy wants you to be. That's why Satan wants you totally isolated. That's why abusive people want to isolate you. It's all about keeping you unwell. I remember the same thing being in in recovery meetings and hearing those types of stories. And it really does break the shame in so many ways because you realize you're not the only one, Mm -hmm. you know. And obviously with alcohol addiction, you have shameful moments, things you did when you blacked out, things you said. People go, oh, they kind of laugh and go, you should hear this. And not that we want to focus on those things, but you said yourself, you thought you were the only one. Well, that battle meeting, there's probably 200 guys at that first Saturday meeting that I went to. Went, mm-hmm. wow, there's this, you know, there's a whole auditorium full of guys in here. Right away, I felt that, wow, what a relief that I'm not the only one, you know. And so how did the healing process start? Tell me about like the importance of accountability and how you kind of work through that. Did you relapse? Did you have support? How did you go from being totally trapped into this addiction to now being free and leading this group? Well, one of the first things they told us in the group was to get rid of the stash and quit looking at porn. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what? I thought we're kind of work our way towards that over a period of the time. But no, right away, that was our command. That's what I did. You know, just getting rid of the stash is your probably your first taste of freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's an important first step. But I have to tell you this, I didn't know how I would do without it because it was really had become my go-to thing to look at porn. So I had this weird, I don't know if you had this feeling, but I had a kind of a floating feeling, you know, where am I, where am I going to touch down when I'm uh, stressed out or whatever? I just kind of felt like I was floating for the, the beginning. But here's a key, I think. Even though I felt like I was floating, I said, but I was willing. I was willing to trust God and do whatever it was going to take to change. So mm-hmm. I, I believe being willing initially, because that may be all you have, just that you're willing. You don't know how you're going to do it, but you're willing to do it. This was important to me. The other thing was I really clung to this verse, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I clung to that verse, uh, knowing that Christ is not going to give up on me and that he's still working on me. He's still got a plan for me. And that was very comforting to get through those initial days. I say the initial month was probably the hardest to, to get through. God can do the impossible, and we have to believe, and that's the hard part. No, I totally relate, because I remember thinking, okay, well, I can quit cussing, and I can quit smoking weed, and I can, but, but I'll never be able to quit drinking. Hmm. I'll never be. I, that's not possible, and I'll never be able to tell my mother I'm an alcoholic, right, because her son's an alcoholic. You know, like these, these, these things, because the, the big book of AA says you will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle you. And that always amazes me because 15 years later, I'm I'm doing things that would have just baffled me, baffled me, right? <laughs> right. Um, and that's that's freedom. But I do. I look back and I and all these things that I thought were impossible, 
impossible <laughs> have happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah, me leading um, a purity sessions at Iron Sharpens Iron Conferences. You know, back then I thought there would be no way I'd ever be able to do that. There I've done it. So, Or even talking to you today, there's no way this would happen if God didn't do miracles <laughs> in right. our lives. So for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got to call your calling. You're talking to a woman about your sexual addiction. <laughs> I know that would be totally unheard of. <laughs> I know. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just it's. But again, when you look at the root of addiction and what it is and that and, and then the idea that we're all born powerless over sin, mm-hmm. what do we do? It's all the same thing. Yeah, it's all the same thing. We're looking for something, but uh, we have it in Christ. That we're, mm-hmm. what we're actually looking for is that peace, peace and understanding. and. Uh, but, you know, you have to be ready, and that's the huge part. It's nice that those guys got an ultimatum from their wife, and maybe that helped them, and maybe it didn't. It's like, we're going to do an intervention. Okay, that's nice. But if the dude doesn't want to quit drinking, I don't. I mean, sometimes interventions can help, especially if it's a teenager, you know. But if a person's not ready to quit and they're not ready to surrender and they're still full of pride and anger and blame, you're wasting your time. Exactly. Yeah. So the ultimatum got him in the meeting. But uh, yeah, nothing really happened until the guy decides, you know what? I've got to deal with this. I need to do it for me. Yeah. First, I've got to straighten out my life here. Then they start yeah. to realize it, and then, then something happens, and the change can happen. And I think it's good to do it for your wife and your kids, but again, it has to be something deep within you. You know, yeah. women always say, I'm doing it for my kids, because it sounds super noble. And it is, and that's great, and you do want to make those changes for your kids. You you but what are you going to do when your kids are gone? Right. So are you I mean, are you just doing it for your kids? Because you might, you know, I, 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 what about doing it because this is what God wants you to do and because you need to do the right thing for you and your kids and everybody. Right. 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 But yeah, I remember going to an AA meeting drunk and because I didn't think anyone would notice. I mean, like, why would they notice? Right. And uh, they took my keys away from me. Can you believe that? And so these ladies followed me home. They go into my apartment and they try to take my stash, which was just basically the open bottle of wine, and I wouldn't give it to them. You know, I wasn't ready. And so the, and so they didn't pour it out. You know, can I pour this out? No. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, the person has to be ready. And so they left their phone number and things had to get a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. And then once they got a little bit worse, I had that phone number, and then I called. But yeah. without the accountability, I would not have been able to do it. Accountability helps. You know, when guys come in the group, we do have them call each other during the week because to help them get out of isolation and be accountable. But, of course, very awkward. I remember trying to do that when I was in the group, and it was very awkward. So I know that's hard, but that's part of uh, that accountability. And that goes away. As you have day in and day out, you're getting to know your accountability partners, you're getting to know the people in the group, you're coming out of that shame because with each day you have another day of sobriety. And all that stuff soon goes away. And what is your worst 
shame and your worst enemy becomes your most beautiful testimony. And and you can probably Mm -hmm. say that today. This is what your life is about, right? Is helping others with the thing that you thought no one ever dealt with, but you. (laughs) Right. I love the verse you used for when, when we talk about temptation. So let's talk about that because it's, it's, huge in our world today because I, I feel like we're living in a, in the end times because mm-hmm. you know, the Bible tells us in the end what's evil is good, what's good is evil. You oh. talk about 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. This used to trip me up because I was like, what? <laughs> you know, but it tells us God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. Did you yeah. find that there was a way to escape the temptation? Did you find that verse to to work itself out as true in your addiction? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was also uh, comforting to know that I think oftentimes guys will feel that, or and I have that maybe uh, I have, you know, my temptations, well, everything I'm dealing with is really more intense than what you're dealing with. This is a good comforting verse, kind of straightens your mind out and says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common. So what you think is the most impossible temptation, it's common. And that there's a way out. You know, if you're looking at porn, there's certainly a way out. There is an on-off button, you know, on that machine there. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you dealt with the temptations and the relapses? Uh, for myself, I the temptations, you know, part of it, I believe, is we were in the Bible a lot and the renewing of the mind. Mm-hmm. It's the renewing of the mind so that you're you want to do what God wants you to do. You know, Jesus said to the people, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You know, those verses started to really sink in. Why am I wanting to do what he doesn't want me to do? So memorizing verses, I guess that's where I'm going. Memorizing verses that you can pull to mind when you're tempted. And I also think, you know, you have an accountability person that you can talk to. Yes. You need the humility to to call the accountability person. So I think other people is a huge way out of temptation. When we're yes. isolated, <laughs> I think we're going to be grabbed back into it. Yeah. If you know you're going to have to tell your accountability person that you looked at something, you're that's going to be a little stop in your spirit. And you know, now I won't do it. And then you move on to something else, you know. I think a lot of times when we when we succumb to temptation, I think I look back and I think, well, I probably really just wanted to do it in the first place. There were times, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna not drive by the liquor store. I'm gonna take a different way home, and then I wouldn't, right? I mean, it, it you know, <laughs> so I could have made a different choice, but chose not to. Yes, you're still struggling with it at that point. Yeah, that's also what I tell. The guys, you know, you can't go after everybody's in bed for the night. You can't go into your office and start searching around on the computer and don't think you're going to fall. You know, be reasonable. That'd be the same thing as an alcoholic going to the bar. It's way too tempting. So just don't go to the bar and don't go to your computer. Stay off your computer. I've had guys give me their laptops to put in my basement until they thought they could have them back again because they just found them too overwhelmingly tempting you really do have to change your environment. And it's hard at first because you feel like, like I felt like, oh my gosh, 
I'm a Christian now, and I have to quit all my drinking and and drugs, and my life is going to be so boring. <laughs> you know, that's what we think. We think <laughs> oh, we yeah. think we're changing, we're switching to you know, we're giving up everything good for something super boring because that's how non Christians look at Christians, and yet. I feel like life with the Lord is so much more fulfilling and fun and exciting than yeah. anything, any way that I lived before. Yeah, I had the same exact feeling. I thought I was going to be a real boring party pooper kind of a guy if if I really did work on this and, and clean up. But uh, that's it did not change my personality. It just changed me from going down those wrong paths. I'm not any different as a person. I'm still... I'm still a fun guy to be around. <laughs> well, and yeah. I like to tell people it's a progressive disease. So your addiction would have just led you into worse and worse places, seedier parts of town, who knows where it would have led. And for me, everyone in my family, I've mentioned this on shows before, everyone in my family that didn't quit drinking is dead. Oh, wow. You know, Yikes. so <laughs> it, it's, it's nice to think that we're missing something, but when you really look at where where sin leads yeah it leads ultimately we know that it leads to death because that's what happened when you know in the garden of eden all the way back when adam and eve decided to run their own life they allowed Mm -hmm. sin in and when we run our own life without the lord then sin comes in and it leads to death right but praise the lord he gives us eternal life salvation but also mm-hmm. wants us to be free from sin as much as possible in this life. And that's that road of sanctification. So you're either yeah. on the road towards betterment or you're yeah. on the road towards worsement, which really yeah. isn't a word. But <laughs> but it's <laughs> like two roads. Yeah. You know, you, you chose the right road, but it's two roads. It doesn't matter what your addiction is or what. Maybe it's just, you know, your uh, 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 it's anger or whatever it is. It's there's two roads you can take, mm-hmm. right? And one's right. going to lead towards betterment and one's going to take you down the wrong path and it's going to get worse yeah. because it, it just can't, it's going to continue to trap you and then create that oppressiveness in you and it just gets worse and worse and worse. If anybody's out there who's looking at porn yet, I, what I say about it is it always takes you further than you want it to go. Yeah. Take to a darker place than you had planned on going. That's the thing about it. It's so entrapping. It really is. Yeah. How do you get that out of your head? I mean, I've seen porn when I was younger, and it just the little bit that I watched, it's still there. It does. Well, I do encourage you guys that it will fade over time. If you stay away from it, those images will fade. Mm-hmm. But you're right, still, some occasionally one will pop in your head, no doubt, even from a long time ago. And it's an industry that's gotten sicker and sicker and sicker. I mean, the stuff that's out there, oh my gosh. You know, it leads to horrible things. I mean, this is awful, but the truth, Ted Bundy said that his addiction to porn is what turned him to what he was. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's true but it it can lead because what it does is as you objectify people or women they become objects they're nothing to you they're not human anymore because that's what porn is and then what 
then you can start treating them badly too, right? Well, yeah. The other thing I noticed uh, from guys in the group, young guys in the group, maybe mid-20s that have been looking at porn a long time, they go out on a date and they never seem to be satisfied with the real person because they've had Mm. all of these things in their head from the porn and it's ruined their uh, ability to have a good relationship. I really feel for those guys that have to keep healing. I don't know how long the healing will have to be before they can finally have a nice relationship. Right, because they're looking for something that's in that video that's like... Something unrealistic. Well, and it's also the the unsatisfaction is is it's killing your um, ability for intimacy. So it's like, how do you get in, get emotionally intimate with someone when you're wrapped up in, in every in all sexuality is now this animal act with absolutely no intimacy, right? Yeah. And so yeah. how do you how do you bring that intimacy back? It's a long road. Yeah. Is it not? It's a long road. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a long road. If you're married, building the trust back takes a long time. Well, and it really messes up uh, sex in marriage too, because it's super hard to be with your wife or husband when you've been into this porn and all this stuff because you you need this extreme crap let's just call it crap that you're seeing in this video to to have an orgasm let's just put it that way let's just say what it is and so then when you're intimate with your spouse it's you you can't do it right like you yeah you can't duplicate what was yeah that's what's so unhealthy about one of the many things unhealthy about it well, you can't do it unless your mind goes there. Then you have to go back to the images in your mind. Yeah. For for guys listening, you, you get this, but I want to talk to women too, because it's the same thing. Women have the same problems. I mean, yeah. we act like it's just, oh, this is just a men's thing. Well, there's, I mean, my first sponsor was a sex addict. And so it looks different. So if ladies, if you're listening, first, if you're a guy and you're listening, be sure and reach out to Dave and we'll give his information because he, you know, you can point people in the right direction to get help and, and uh, encouragement. And mm-hmm. ladies, if, if this is something your husband or boyfriend's dealing with, encourage them. But this might be something that you're dealing with, too. You know, for, for women, they call it love addiction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that sounds better, doesn't it? It sounds better. Yeah. It's the same problem, though. Yeah, I mean, we don't sit and look at porn because typically, I forget the, I don't know if you've ever read any of those books like Wild at Heart and Captivating. Yeah. Wild and they, at they Heart talk, and yeah, and so you know how they talk about like um, how, how like women's bodies are designed to be at rest and to be beautiful and all this stuff. And so all the old paintings they show, you know, women, you know, laying half naked across the bed you know and then if you but if you saw a man like that you you would laugh right Uh, i mean that would be funny because they're supposed to be uh moving and 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 at work and and you know whatever so so for women it's more like fantasy like like Mm -hmm. you know a woman might say well i fantasize about my doctor all day long or whatever so that's what that is and it still screws up the intimacy because you can't be with your husband because the only person in your mind is your doctor right so it's the same thing is it not and romance novels have gotten racier too oh so. lord have mercy yeah. mm-hmm. also i understand from research that about a third of the porn viewers are women how right? many of them are christian women i don't know but yeah so more women are starting to look at it we actually do have a group at our church for for women who have their own addiction and we also have 
a, a group <clears throat> for the women who are the spouses of the men in the program. It's interesting that pornography is viewed by a lot of people as not bad at all. They think it's good, you know, if you're married, it's okay to just get in the mood together and watch it. But the trouble is it's uh, your focus is on someone else other than your spouse. That's the biggest problem of it. So let's talk about the church. There's a lot of shame you were talking about in the church. You know, we were talking earlier about how I'm, you know, afraid that I'll see someone I know. Yeah. Um, although we, Although we feel shame, it's important to know that God does not shame you. Okay, that's right. God doesn't shame us. There's there's conviction. There's there's sin. So, for instance, Dave, he understood that you grew up in an alcoholic family that you did not get what you needed growing up. That your addiction was a result of pain. So we see ourselves as this adult who's doing bad things. God sees the little boy or the little girl that was alone in the closet. Uh You know what I mean? He understands the unresolved childhood pain. He understands the abuse, Mm -hmm. right? He understands why we do the things we do. He understands we have reasons, but they're not excuses, okay? So when we come to him, we don't need to be ashamed. I mean, I think God's been around for a while. You know, I, I think He's. I think He's seen a few things, right? I mean, He created right. us, and we're. Oh my God! I can't. Yeah, I can't that. come to the Lord. He's gonna think I'm. He's gonna think I'm what? <laughs> think what? I wonder if there's something God hasn't seen, right? I mean, what do you think? Adam and Eve, you know, hid when they had done something bad, like God yeah. couldn't see them. <laughs> yeah. But where are you guys? Not that He didn't know where they were. And it was their sin that produced that shame. It's our behavior that's bad, right? We we fall into bad behavior, but we are not bad. And I like right. to always illustrate that point every show because God cannot create every anything bad. Everything God created is perfect. Mm-hmm. So when we say we're bad, we're telling God what you made is bad. And that's the lie. Yeah. That's the lie. He's he created us. He wants to heal us. So tell me about shame in the church. Is there shame in the church on this or is this what we're putting on ourselves? I think we put it on ourselves. My thought is that um, the church is not dealing very well with men in general. If you just look at websites of churches in your area, um, I imagine that you'll find what I found in this there's a lot of churches that don't even have a men's program at all. You know, the women and the children and uh, maybe family, but they don't have a men's ministry at all. So somehow they're not dealing with men who desperately need to be the spiritual leaders of their households. They need to be with other men. They're just kind of going after the women and children because that's yeah. the market and that's what's popular and that's the hot thing to do. And that's, oh, you know, the wife's hold the purse strings, bring the wife and right? It's the easy way, isn't it? I think it is more of the easy way, which that's not their mission is the easy way. We need to help the men. I'm fortunate on our church, we have a very strong men's ministry, but uh, many churches don't. And many churches also don't have any kind of way to address uh, sexual sin. How do we attract men to the church? Because it is more women that are like becoming the spiritual leaders. And it's, it seems like a lot of guys just don't care. Is, is that what it is, too? I don't think that's it. I think the church needs to make a 
priority on working mm -hmm. with the men. I think they will respond if they're uh, addressed in a mature way. You know, an occasional pancake breakfast once a quarter <laughs> is not really enough. You know, they need guys need uh, more. I totally agree. There's so many, and I think it's it's harder because women were so relational. So it's easy to have the women's conferences, and and I don't know if dudes go, like to go to men's conferences. So it's maybe it's it's they're just not really working on finding the types of things that guys want to go to. Well, how big of an issue is pornography in the church? Well, according to Barna Research, about 60% of the guys that come in the church door on Sunday morning for worship have looked at porn in the last week or month. Wow. So that's, that's very big. And then as much as 50% of pastors are also looking at porn on some occasional or regular basis. And that could say something about why they're not addressing it. And so the church, you think, is still not dealing with it very well. I mean, they've, they've gotten better, but what could they do to, to deal with this issue better? Would it be from the pulpit? Would it be, you know, having classes? What do you think the answer is? I think the answer starts at the pulpit. Mm -hmm. To have an honest discussion, really about um, what does the Bible say about sexuality, and approach it that way. Or approach it for um, preparing your children for marriage. Uh, Dr. Josh Mulvihill wrote a book about that. To, to approach sexuality with uh, kids and families looking towards marriage. And that gives you mm -hmm. a nice way to talk about it. You know, so I think from the pulpit, if the pastor will create the environment, sin is serious, that sexual sin is serious, and, and maybe even dare to be transparent with his own struggles. And we have a church in the Twin Cities that isn't the church I go to. Their pastor, apparently, over the years, has been very transparent about his own personal dealings with sin in general. And their church continues to grow like wildfire because of that vulnerability of the pastor. So the pastor can do a lot. And if he's struggling, he maybe he should go get some help. There's plenty of help that he can get if he's dealing with uh, sexual issues himself. That's, my, That's a great idea. I mean, yeah. you know... Again, we, we see that the world looks at porn oftentimes as something that's not a bad thing. I think maybe a sermon a year on what is wrong with it and what's so bad about it, how destructive it is, might be really helpful. You know, just yeah. be open about it. Yeah, be open about that. Yeah, just to find different ways to talk about what's biblical, healthy sexuality. And you can keep it, you know, rated G. It doesn't have to go head on with pornography. You can get at it more subtly. But yes, you have to. I believe you have to. Church has to deal with it because it's, it's like a wave of destruction that's uh, going over the church, and it's still not being addressed. I think it's keeping men from uh, stepping up to be leaders in the church, and uh, like we were talking, spiritual leaders in the household, which is so important. There's so many forces against the family these days, tearing the family apart, and that's really critical. And the, the dad needs to be spiritually leading the, his house. Yeah, I think men are just, the whole society is totally emasculating men. And mm -hmm. when the, the church only tries to appeal to the women, you're right, they're just, they're just adopting what society is doing. They're still, they're being part of the world. You know, yeah. they're in, and then you have all these movements of oh, social justice and all this great stuff, which in some ways are good, but in other ways, it's really allows for a lot of grace 
mm-hmm. like too much grace, you know? Yeah, I believe the sexual issues, you know, the, the elephant in the room that's still being walked around, it needs mm-hmm. to be talked about. Well, let's talk about how to live sober. You've used in your devotion Ephesians five fifteen through 20, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. We're told the days are evil. We see that. It says, therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what God's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful verse to keep with us as we walk through this journey of recovery, right? That is. That's a good little instruction manual right there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you do have to be careful how you live. I had a guy in a group say that uh, he kind of felt bad because a movie was on. He was watching with his wife, but a scene came, that sexual sort of scene that uh, triggered him. And uh, he left the room and went into the living room instead. And he felt bad about that. But he said, you know, you're learning who you are and what... uh, you're learning to live carefully, like this thing says. Yes. You need to understand yourself. You need to know when you need to avoid things. And uh, right. so you have to live in a smart way. You have to say no to a lot of things and yes to the right things. And you so, do need to be prepared, right? We need a plan. You talk about making a plan. Yeah, you need a plan. You need to put on the full armor. You can't just go wandering out there. You know, I, t- I tell guys, you know, there's a, a verse I don't know offhand, right? But he's, a guy walks down the street and he walks by the home of the, the prostitute. But you, guys, you can't yeah. go walking down that street. You need to be just like on a completely different street. Uh, we can't go up to the hole in the ground where there's a temptation and keep hoping we're not going to fall in. You know, you need to be living in a different way. The other thing that's important that helps me a lot. One of my favorite talk show hosts is Dennis Prager, and he does this thing called the happiness hour, you know, where he just talks about happiness. But he says that you owe it to the people in your life to be happy. Now, is that true or not? I think it kind of is. I don't know. I I do know that, you know, and I'm not talking about clinical depression and going through periods of of struggles and stuff, but I feel like we owe it to those we love to be happy the best version of ourselves. And that takes a lot of work. But it's because, you know, I'm not really hurting anybody. Yes, you are hurting people. And we want to be the best version. And I have to think about this every day Mm because I grew up in a very codependent family and I struggle every day with kind of this not being a victim. You know what I mean? Because it's hard to crawl out of stuff. Uh, And and you really have to work at this because you want your loved ones to experience the best of who you are. Right. I agree. And one of the great ways to do that is to make a decision to help others. I think that's one of the the, the biggest keys. Help yourself, but also help others. We're blessed so much by helping others. You know, that's when uh, when a guy comes to the group, we interview each guy before he comes in. And right away we tell him, well, this first year, we're going to help you. You're going to go through the group and, and get your purity. Second year, we'd like you to co-lead a group by helping other guys. And then the third year, we'd like you to be one of the leaders. So we try to build in the idea of helping other people 
right into the beginning of the group. That's important. They say in in AA, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And it's Mm -hmm. so, 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 so true. Because what good's recovery if you can't help other people? And so that's a really important part of it. It gets you out of yourself and, and it's turns your mess into a message or, you know, into a testimony. And that's that's huge. Well, Dave, it's been great talking. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Can people reach out to you for help if they're struggling with a sexual addiction? Sure, sure. And thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. They can go to my website, DaveHowHowE.org. And you can contact me through there. And, and there's some help on there on places to look for groups in your area. I believe it's on my welcome page. And then also uh, I have a blog on there that's called Eight Things to Do Right Now to Start Living a Pure Life. You could take a look at that and uh, give you a little jump start. And there's also a blog on having a small, a small group study guide for my book. It's on there, too, if you wanted to start a group. And is your book on your website, too? Can they download it there? They can't download it there. They would go to uh, tristanpublishing.com, or you can order it on amazon.com. And it's Live Pure and Free, The 90-Day Game Changer. Yes, by Dave Howell. Check it out, because it's great. I really liked it. You had nice devotionals. You had exercises. Uh, it was It's perfect for even if, if they wanted to take the book and lead their own group, right? Yes, uh-huh. And Dave, thanks for being here. It look and, and if you have uh, issues and questions, I'd love to hear from you too. If you're interested in being a guest on this program, email me. Tell me a story about how God has transformed your life. You can email me as well. It's Connect with Jody Stevens at yahoo.com, J-O-D-I-E, Stevens with a V. On the next program, we're going to be talking with Joel Walton, who is a therapist, marriage and family therapist, kind of an ask the therapist. Okay, so if you have any questions that you would like answered on an upcoming show when it comes to recovery, when it comes to addictions or codependencies or marriage or anxiety or any type of recovery or even theology, the, uh, theology questions, questions about the Bible, Please don't hesitate to uh, reach out, to email me or comment on the the podcast. I'd love it if you would, again, connect with Jody Stevens at yahoo.com. You can check out my healing blog at jodystevens.org. And be sure and hit the subscribe button if you like this podcast. And thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time.